G'day, welcome to Two uh, Coaches in a Coffee. We're back in our normal uh, environments today. I'm back in Oz. We've got no uh, washing machine noises going on. It's all <laughs> <laughs> quite stable. I had quite a few comments about that one, Berger. Sorry, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Listen, it's a real life podcast, so that's what I was doing. Well, that's that's what I said. You know, I, I just was trying to highlight the uh, the uh, very very uh, elaborate lifestyle that I lead internationally, <laughs> going through hotels and having washing machines spinning out a week's worth of dirty clothes in one hit. So, anyway, enough of that rubbish, mate. We're back in the groove. We got a fair bit going on. I mean. I think we're going to end up in the the injury space for a little bit, but let's let's start with uh, maybe let's start with the big one. So we've got the Super Bowls just transpired this week. Um, very very big massive game, uh, LA Las Vegas. Lots happening, but the most uh, probably outlandish thing that I saw was uh, Dre Greenlaw snapping his Achilles tendon on the sideline so- as he came on the field. I've only just caught up with this in the last day or so because a few players asked me about it. What what stage of the game was it? I believe I've seen the video and he was just sort of jumping up, ready to run yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, mate. I I believe it was. I'd have to go and have an exact look, but I think it was relatively early in the second half. I may be corrected on that one, but it wasn't. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it wasn't extremely late. This guy was, but I've, I've watched it in replay. He's on the sideline. He's pumped. He's jumping up and down, like bouncing, like he's ready to he's ready to go. And as they say, sort of go. He takes a step back, back pedals onto that leg, and as he goes, you just see it go whack and uh, pop. But what is most interesting? Let's let's. There's been another couple of things come across my desk. So um, Derek Hansen. Uh, so Derek Hansen, who's a, a very very well known. Uh, uh, speed coach in the US and Canada, disciple of uh, the late, great Charlie Francis. Um, so he's just put out some stats on social media. Uh, so just, you know, he's not, no conclusions, but he's just uh, getting some direction. So there's a bunch of teams with more than one. Uh, New York Jets have got three. There's a couple with two. Uh, but this one was interesting. Positions with the most Achilles tendon ruptures. Linebackers, seven. The next is running backs, four. Cornerbacks, three. D-line, two. Quarterback, two. Wide receiver, two. But with this injury, this latest one, that's one-third of all the Achilles tendon ruptures are in the linebacker position, which I find interesting. Contact versus non-contact. Well, this is now 20 of 24, so that makes it 83% are in non-contact. And then time of year... You know, there's ten in the regular season, so it's a high level. The one that the one that's thrown me off a bit is the activity game situation. So, does this one count as game situation? But he wasn't playing, but he was on the sideline. He literally, not only was it non-contact, it was not involved in any element of the game. He was just, you know, running onto the field. But. It's starting to, you know, a third of all injuries in the linebacker position and 83% in non-contact. There's a fair bit of a story going on there. Yeah, okay. So linebacker, um, that's an interesting one. You would think that they are in that 
start position along with tight ends as much as anybody. People will correct Agreed. it. Score. Um, so they're in that um, Achilles strain stretch position more than anybody. They've got to stretch. They've got to produce power quickly. So it's starting to create a bit of a story. Um, I don't know, mate. I, I I think you're right and all that. I think the other thing I've thought about is what do they do? What's their jobs? You know, they, a linebacker will change position hard. They'll pivot back. You yep. know, they'll take short routes. They'll sprint up, turn around, come back at the at the quarterback. But I, I don't. I think there's some things we're starting to see. But is there an answer in there? What What I did do, I had a conversation with uh, someone who was involved with one of those Achilles. Well, couple of those Achilles tendon ruptures in the NFL. And we're just quizzing through, and one of the players in question was actually seeking treatment outside of the club. And and there were two two bits of information that were interesting. One is that the the athlete had had Achilles soreness, like marked, notable. So what's Achilles soreness? Other than being kicked in the Achilles, it tends to be tendinopathy. Yep. Right. And tendinopathy in a in an older athlete is going to be aligned with um, you know disorganized fibers in the in the tendon. The tendon uh, cross sectional area increases, and you get um, a reduced amount of strong tissue. And I mean, I think all of Jill Cook and um, Purdom's Craig Purdom's research has shown a lot of that stuff. So the kid, the guy already has symptoms. Then he goes and gets this other treatment from somebody else. Is a treatment manual therapy, injection? Yeah, no, it, it didn't seem to be injection. It seemed to be like a manual therapy of some description. Anyway, there had been an increase. I feel better and I've got more range of motion and then it goes snap. So, again, I think it, it still for mine comes back to I wonder if there's already pathologies going on underneath all of this and people aren't saying anything. We know that athletes are some of the worst reporters in the world because they want to play. They don't want to tell anybody they're sore. And what do we know about Achilles tendinopathy? It's going to sneak up on you. It's going to build. It's not like, you know, apart from the actual attendant, the Achilles blowing apart, um, tendinopathy tends to be as progressive. It's just sore. It's annoying. I warm up okay. I get going. So I wonder. I, I wonder. I mean, they're... There's a lot of discussion about field types, artificial turf versus grass. Yep. Conversation I had earlier in this week was, yeah, there was a change of boots, which is always always going to be a contributor. Yep. But one of the common things seems to be this idea of guys stepping back. So the guy I'd spoken to had that their athlete had stepped back, or, um, stepped back in their position. The guy. Dre Greenlaw, he stepped back. He he was on the line bouncing. He took one step backwards and kind of bounced off that foot. So I don't know. I don't certainly have any answers, but there's unquestionably a massive issue going on there. Yep. Yeah, okay. It's interesting. It's um you'd think field surface, boot size plus plus positional demands, a uh, boot size, boot type plus positional demands all come into play, like you say. Um, well, is it boot tight, mate? Like tight ends. Uh, sorry, linebackers. Linebackers can be tall, longer guys if they've got slightly bigger feet and they're working with a longer lever. I mean, I, I don't know. I heard, uh, again, another report out of the NFL that a surgeon repaired a tendon and said, oh, there's all these anatomical 
differences? Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. But I think you would think the NFL being as big as it is, that there would be some magnitude of intervention or research done to find out what are the genuine common features here and try and solve it. That's a lot of players out. And I'm sure they're all frontline players. Yeah, we've spoken about um, some of the steps they're taking to modify or and, and even um, implement modified loads at the start of uh, training camps and things like that. But, um, yeah, that must be devastating for the player. Oh, he looked he looked shattered. I felt I felt terrible for him. And, I mean, that was, um, you know, that's me from a bazillion miles away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mate, they did. The, the fate, again, back to Derek Hansen's data, off-season there were six, pre-season there were six, regular season there were 10 and 11, including the one on the uh, on Monday or Sunday night. So it's still the, you know, you've got 11 in regular season and then another 12 in the off-season or pre-season period. So there's a 50-50 there. There's one post-season. I don't know what happens there. Someone blew an Achilles going out partying. Yeah, it just shows the dangers of if if that is the case, if your information is correct, which I imagine it is, um, of getting that outside treatment, um, yeah, of, I guess, manipulating the the homeostasis that's developed within a club and all the information coming in and out within a club. If you add another layer to it where that's fine for people going out and getting treatment, we've discussed that a few times, um, but what that does do is require some extra workload from the player, the staff at the club and the treating staff to make sure that everybody's across everything that's happening. Well, what makes it really difficult, and this is that, I guess, back to that HPM story, is if you're trying to figure out what's going on, if you're finding that there are, you're getting a run of injuries and you're trying to figure it out and there's players going, oh, I, have, I do this other thing, but I'm not going to tell you about it, it makes it incredibly difficult. And the guy that I spoke to was very frustrated because smart guy, but what are you going to do? You've got a question mark, a big question mark in what your understanding of what's happened to that 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 structure. So yeah, I think it's incredibly difficult. And I think in those bigger markets, I don't know in the NBA, guys I know that have worked in the NBA say it's incredibly difficult. Players just wander off and do their own thing. They've got their own surgeons, their own radiologists, their own everything. You know, so tough market. Yeah, very tough market. Um, so. What about a little bit injuries. closer to home? Yeah, that, yeah. Speaking of injuries, so we are at, for, for those uh, not in Australia, we're coming into the practice period of uh, practice game period of pre-season for the AFL. So what that means is we're about a month away from the season starting and there's either inter-clubs, in fact, it's probably three weeks away, inter-clubs plus some practice matches happening. But you've been away for a little bit and you said before we came on air, um, what about the number of injuries that are being reported? Now, AFL's a bit like the NFL in that just about any injuries are reported um, by the clubs. It's not necessarily compulsory to do so, but it's pretty commonplace within clubs. Um, Of course, there's people trying to hide injuries at different times to get a competitive advantage, which happens a lot more in somewhere like the Premier League than what it does out here. But because there's journos at every single training session, um, mostly the AFL website reports pretty accurately 
um, injuries that have gone on at clubs. And you were saying how how big the injury list seemed to be this mm. priest. Yeah, mate, I've I've kept an eye on things uh, a little bit, but there's certainly a number of clubs that appear to have got a lot, a big run of injuries in the latter stages. So what, from a, I guess a structural perspective, um, Berger said we're coming into this trial phase. So what what teams would have done in the, they would have worked hard for maybe three weeks in January and be tapering off in this period. Most, most would be. Um, some guys are playing catch-up. Some guys who might have had a late start to the season, pre-season, are trying to get some Ks into their legs before everything kicks off. But it would appear that there are some teams now going into this trial, you know, what we call match practice. So there's guys, just teams, clubs playing intra-clubs, uh, game against your own players, um, and there's a, no- a lot of injuries. A lot of, I've heard one club in particular, quite a number of hamstrings back to back to back to back. Um, so there are some balancing acts going on at the moment, and I think some teams not really winning it by the looks of it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Two Coaches and a Coffee is proudly sponsored by SpeedSig. If you work with field sport athletes, understanding how your players generate and control speed is critical to your effectiveness as a coach, medical practitioner, or sports scientist. Acceleration, speed, and deceleration not only can be generated using unique individual strategies, but those strategies change as an athlete gets stronger, as they develop better skills, most definitely when they suffer injuries, and as the athlete gets older. Does your athlete monitoring program cover these variables? SpeedSig uses IMU GPS technology that your team is already using to provide biomechanically validated and reliable data that describes how an athlete generates and controls speed. Check out our website for more detail at speedsig.com. Now back to two coaches and a coffee. Yeah, so you're spot on exactly what's um, what's happening in clubs is is there is this um, uh, spike in load and you keep that load high whilst you're playing some practice games. So it is a high risk, high reward sort of strategy because you don't want to taper off too early before the season because it's a long season. You want to try and maintain the fitness as much as you can throughout the season. Um, and it does put some players at risk. Um we spoke last time about Geelong doing, you know, seemingly a four times as much sprint training. Um, that seems to be the common thread coming out of a lot of clubs um, is that they're, they're, they are doing a lot higher volumes. I, I think one of the other things that happens, and, and we might have touched on this at different times in the past, is you train for three weeks pre-Christmas, then com- what's compulsory in the AFL is that players and staff get three weeks off over Christmas, which is unusual in sort of world sport, but that's what the Players Association have been able to negotiate. And then you come in and everybody goes, shit, we've only got four weeks left till we start playing games. We better get as much match practice as you possibly can. And match practice in AFL is very different to match practice in, you know, in some other sports in that it's full contact. Um, it's 360 degrees, so it, it comes with an inherent contact injury risk. And then players are asked to do 
obscene amounts of running in in games, so therefore that needs to be replicated in training, and you get this cocktail for um, hamstring injuries because there's a massively interrupted loading. There's no consistency in it. Um, so that that's certainly my assessment of what's happening around the place. It's pretty hard to correct when you've got that perfect storm. It is, and and to be clear, it's not you're not going into game mode where you're playing once a week. It's more like, let's say, football, soccer, where you actually some guy like you're doing game simulations maybe two times a week, and the volumes are starting to get up there. So it it is intriguing to see the number of injuries. And I also would speculate that, and we have talked about this in the past, that last year's AFL showed a real difference between the teams that were going quick and able to play at high speed. And as you well noted, the certainly Collingwood, who led the charge last year and, and won, were able to play extraordinarily fast, but able to slow it down when they needed to. Yep. Um, I think there are other teams now, a lot, trying to catch up on the speed front trying to play faster and you would have to think that there's a there's been a, a relationship to that and the number of injuries that seem to be in the press at the moment yeah i even noticed uh, over your neck of the woods the ceo of west coast came out and the new uh, ceo yeah the new ceo came out and just said yeah we make no apologies for the injuries and the fact that we're training harder so we know it's a uh, that's the environment that we're trying to create is a real uh, robust athlete. So they're going to have to adapt. And like he, he went right into detail, which is odd for a, a CEO of a club to be commenting on the training sort of methodology. They've got the great Matty Innes over there. Um, so yeah. no doubt that he'll, he'll do a fantastic job. Um, so yeah, it's interesting though. But what's really interesting, mate, and we, we've talked about this before, is, okay, you get a little bunch of injuries and we might well be in a position where we're suggesting, uh, recommending that certain volumes not be pursued or that we slow down a bit or whatever it is. Um, yet coaches will go, no, no, we're going ahead. We're pushing on. A CEO gets in the press and says, yeah, mm. it's all good. But I guarantee when push comes to shove and we start looking at injury rates, what's the, those conversations are lost. They are lost. When you say, why did, why did player X get injured? Well, I said that he shouldn't go on the field. And I've got one, I've got a doozy that I remember, a player like a, for players overseas, MVP, like the, one of the best players in the league, do not put him on the field. He is injured. No, we'll put him back out. He'll be right. And the injury gets insurmountably worse. And not only that, but it's that level of injury that carries on for a bunch of years. But no one remembers that conversation. No one hears it. In that scenario, I reckon you've got two choices as a performance staff member. Um, you can say, well, I've done my job. I've delivered the information. Um I'm not going to be too emotionally upset with the result if it doesn't go my way in terms of if the player gets injured or the performance suffers or whatever the outcome is. My job is to provide the coach with the um, information and, and then they make the decision. You can 
start being one of those practitioners, and I've certainly worked with those who document everything. I told the coach on this date at this time. Um, and so you can do that, and that might protect you. It might if the shit hit, hits the fan. I suspect uh, my view would be that's no way to live. <laughs> but no. Yeah, I have to document everything in case I might get sacked. Um, so it's it's no way to do it. You've got to kind of trust in the process and uh, it may come back to bite you like you suggested. Um, but you, you need to, um, in those situations, you certainly need to hold your own and, and say, well, we did have this discussion Um so it's a lesson for us next time or something like that without saying, I told you so, I told you so, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. And the problem with that is that where we, we fall into holes is we recommend something and nothing happens. And then they go, well, how do you know whether you're right or wrong? Yeah. Well, yeah. you don't. But it's when it does go wrong, and I said don't, yes. um, that it goes sideways. And, I mean, I think... There's enough evidence of that. We've talked about the Wallabies' um, yeah. recent um, hit in the World Cup and there were injuries associated with that. And I'm sure somebody was in the background going, hey, this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. But it goes along anyway. And obviously one person paid the price there. But, um, yeah, I think, I think if I make a fallback position even further, um, you said something ages ago. Um, on this podcast about putting a piece of paper on the wall for the coach and saying, <laughs> this is what we're falling back to. I always think now that I think even if I went back again now into sport, I would say like things like if if the call comes from the bench, like the, the secret word, you know, Shazam, if I call Shazam, it's fucking serious. Like yeah, yeah. do not tempt. Like, yeah. There are things when you've got a choice. Yep. And I reckon you can go one way or the other, but there are things that you should just never risk. And and I, yeah, you can do your best. You probably have a magic word and yeah. it still, still bites you in the ass. So, yeah, I think you've got to do your best, try and build those relationships to get the comms. But at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, coaches will make decisions based on their competitive nature more than anything, more than their... Logic sometimes, I would suggest. Well, let me leave you with this, Jase, because I'm going to have to shoot off. I had to, you can imagine why I had to look this up only recently, but I've looked up the last four years. We're playing our internal trial this Friday, so in two days' time, where it's the possibles versus probables. And it can get a bit heated at times because the probables yeah. get the spot. Uh, we've got a few players missing for various reasons, which is what happens. I had to look at the year that we won the flag with the D's, which is only two and a half years ago, um, we had 14 players, so a third of our squad missing in the um, internal in trial. That, in that match. In the, in the two trial games, we had 12 players missing and 10 players missing in the two. So a quarter of the squad were missing in the trial games and we ended up, I don't know, losing two or three games for the whole season and winning the league. So um, N of one doesn't equal perfect, but what I'm saying no. is we, we didn't magically become the fittest team or anything like that. It was just we didn't mess it up. And what happens in on February um, has got very little bearing with what happens in September. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I think it's it always comes down to trying to make best decisions, and they're always, always 
probability-based decisions. They're not black and white. I can yeah. see you in the camera signalling that there's a line of people at your door. <laughs> there is, in fact, um, three at the doorway. <laughs> <laughs> Invite them right. in. We'll put them on the podcast, our first yeah. guests ever. All right, mate. Well, it's been uh, great to catch up again. Um, I think next time we'll next week we'll try and make it a bit calmer. You're you're under the pump, and and I'm the one kicking back this time for the moment, anyway. Um, mate, you have a great day. I have seven hamstring injuries in two days' time. Touch wood. Then I won't oh. be. It'll be give us a good podcast. So it will. It will. Well, I'll, next one we'll talk a bit more about my US adventure and a few of the things I saw over there. Anyway. Have a good one, mate. Everybody enjoy, uh, and we look forward to your next uh, company on our next episode. Cheers, mate.